You're listening to The Agile CTO, a podcast geared toward technology professionals, disruptors, and thought leaders. This show will aim to cover industry trends, new technologies, the life of a CTO, building dev culture, stories from some of today's leading CTOs, and so much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Agile CTO podcast. My name is Guy Coleman, and I'm here with my co-host, Harley Ferguson. And we've got a really interesting guest today, the man behind it all, Alan Hayfley. Harley, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thanks, Guy. Thanks for asking. I'm also very excited about this. I am being paid to say that. Um, <laughs> and yeah, Alan's going to be a great guest. I'm not being held hostage at all. Alan, how, how, how are you doing? You're also an indirect sponsor, actually. Now that we yeah. think about it, technically we have a sponsor for this show, so Pat's now back. <laughs> technically, about time. what is that? That makes me the sponsor behind all of them, doesn't it? <laughs> but, <laughs> yes, but we're not going to bring that up every single time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please don't. Yeah, no, it's nice to be yeah, behind the mic again. And I know you guys have been having fun the last few episodes. So yeah, it's keen to see a few episodes in and thought, yeah, maybe I, I have something to, to add to the conversation. It would be quite fun. Awesome. So, like I said, you're the man behind the scenes here at Hayfilly Software. Why don't you give our audience a rundown about yourself, about Hayfilly Software, what's happening, what we've been doing for the past 15 years? Cheapest. Okay. Has that it been 15 like years, a... firstly? Maybe that's the question, right? Uh, yeah. On the uh, 6th of April, so yeah, a couple of weeks ago, that was 15 years. Yeah. Yeah, that does make me feel old. Yeah. So... I suppose a bit about me, ex-developer, and to be honest, I still wish I could do more of it. I bumped into also a fellow aged MD, a business owner the other day who had decided to go back to coding and he, he got it, he got his Visual Studio back out and he joined the dev team and I, I was surprisingly really jealous of him for about 30 minutes and thought, Okay, I need to find something, and then and then I had to get back to my job. But yeah, so I'm, <laughs> I think I'm a recovering coder. I I love it, and I wish I could have taken it further. But yeah, one thing led to another. I've spent time as a developer, an architect, an analyst, a team lead, back to being an analyst, then back to being a developer. Then I spent a stint in London in my early career as an analyst developer, where I was helping set up a startup with my brother in the evening while trying to run Hayfleet Software in the afternoon while helping another company in the morning. So it was early, early years in, in London. And from there is where the company got started. So I think, I think at that stage, I'd probably done every role and even a little bit of QA at one point, And I touched you know, almost every part of the software process at the point of starting Hayfleet Software. And yeah, now fast forward, 15 years back in South Africa after being in London for seven years. And I'm pretty proud of, yeah, this team of 52 or so that we've got right now. And yeah, I'll just touch on Hayfree Software for those who hadn't mm. picked up yet. Yeah, we're a Microsoft specialist consultancy and we focus on, yeah, handcrafting dev teams that deliver. And our tagline right now is, yeah, building dev teams that deliver or fixing those that don't. It seems to have have hit a nerve with me, I remember 3 a.m. about seven months ago. It's like, what is it that we really enjoy doing? And it was like, yes, tech, yes, coding, yes, we like all that stuff. But actually, it's just building dev teams that can bloody bolt, you know? Tired of tired of dev teams just being put together and clients spending a lot of money and they, they don't build stuff, you know? And, I, and it seems that there's a part of us that really likes fixing those dev teams that don't either. Like every time we're on a team and it's not delivering, we seem to come out with, yes, they need to fix this and this process and we really want to make improvement. And I think that's that's a key part of us. But yeah, that's me. You know, part of that uh, that that tagline, uh, building dev teams that deliver, it's, it's an interesting word, deliver, right? Because we all think we deliver on software all the time. So in your mind, how do you measure that? How do you, how do you, you know, put something tangible behind it? Because it sounds like a fluffy word, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I think I think it's those different CTOs in different contexts will will know what it means when a dev team is not delivering. I mean, it might just be the velocity is crap because there's too much technical debt and that'll be somebody's fault or they've got the right talent, but the process is just 
crap and you're not getting anywhere. So I think they inherently know what delivery is. For me, it is uh, a focus on the business outcome. It's sort of understanding, well, what is it that you're actually building? I think a lot of a lot of consultancies get asked for a resource and build the dev team, and you don't necessarily care. Well, a consultancy inherently doesn't care as to what it is that's being built. Oh, you want five devs? Cool, here's five devs, and here's your invoice. You know, if the fact that those five devs are running at, you know, a third of their capacity and at a third of their passion and are only a third engaged, is that kind of fine? Because the invoice is still a full invoice. Whereas to us, it's about the, yeah, it's the business outcome. What are you trying to, what are you trying to build? All right. So in the case of our clients, it might be they need to get their security up to scratch. They need to get this application back to it, inspiring for developers again, right? So that it's not so expensive to build or they need to, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's just straightforward as they need a velocity to get this thing built by this deadline because of some VC milestone. And that's delivery, is to achieve that milestone. So yeah, I think it means different things for different clients depending on what they're looking for. You know? So sometimes it's about technical debt and sometimes it's about just getting their team engaged. Like that's also part of delivery. So I guess I guess it's really important to to define that up front with your clients, right? So try and understand what it means for them in that context so that you can, or we can as a business, tailor make them the solution that they're gonna need. Do you think there's there's yeah. there's a lot of coaching involved there? Do you think it's been a, a, a challenge, or do you, are you finding it since adopting that mantra to be a, an easier conversation? Yeah, I think it's a level of coaching, um, and I think it's partly just us realizing that that's the kind of stuff that we like. Because um, it, it's it's one thing to be a consultancy that just provides a bunch of devs for the client to dictate. You know. You're just providing the, the pairs of hands and then the client tells them what to do. I think, I mean, we've seen this in a few clients now where you provide a team of four and they're struggling with the delivery um, and it's because the four are not used to their full effect. And so I, it does take some time because the clients, obviously they are in control and it is their resource and they are paying. So it's, you know, it's kind of like, Alan, stop, um, stop interfering. But the conversation invariably for the right kind of clients that are looking for partners invariably responds well because they acknowledge and sometimes it is about turning away revenue because it's not about, oh, you want four developers. Okay, here's four developers because maybe it's not four that they need. They actually need one really good strong lead and a really good BA. And that's actually what they need for two months. And then let's, and then let's see what's required as opposed to just giving what's required. But I think when you understand the business outcome and that good a dev team's output is not just about how many developers are thrown at it. You know, it's, it's process and it's environment and it's culture and how, how the, you know, how, what's the feedback like for the developers? Are they engaged? What's the tech stack like? You know, and, and, and what, yeah, it all plays a part in it. Okay, Alan, I just want to take you back to the early days of Hayfully Software. Like before it was Hayfully Software, what made you turn it into Hayfully Software? You mentioned you were overseas for a while, you were in the UK. You were working for a company there. You were maybe doing a few things for yourself. But when did you decide, okay, this is a business? And what was your what was your process to turning it into from one guy, yourself, yourself to I don't know, nearly fifty strong? Well, I always had I always had the imprint that there would be my surname on a wall from even before university. I mean, I I mean, I did, I grew up with my with the surname on the wall uh, within my dad's company and Hayfully Construction and my uncle's with Hayfully Waterproofing and my dad's other business in, in music publications with Hayfully Music. So I sort of have always had the surname on the wall in some shape or form. So for me, it was, okay, Hayfully something. Didn't know what it was. And at one stage I was maybe going to be an electrical engineer or maybe in like an architect, like a builder's architect. And only then in varsity, falling in love with coding, you know, uh, day one of uh, semester one of ComSci at UCT, did I then love dev? And then I thought, okay, yeah, there's there's a software business. There's a, there's a hopefully software somewhere. And I remember that was in first year varsity thinking, cool, I'm going to come out of varsity. I work for two years, go overseas, get some international experience, and then I'm going to come back and then I'm going to build Hayfully Software. So my view was like a, 
seven, like after finishing varsity, maybe within seven years, then I would set it up, you know, after getting some work experience. But the opportunity to head to London and being in the UK was almost thrust upon me without without specific because I thought no I'm going to go to the UK and I'll just be on my workers visa or you know maybe spend a time in London just just absorb London you know and, and be that guy that's you know getting some UK experience and and then I'll come back and set up my, my business yeah and as the sequence of events unfolded I was able to be in the UK and the company at the time it was more convenient for them that I was a contractor so actually this just began quite like unobtrusively as oh we don't really want to employ you it'll be more convenient for us if you're a contractor so i was like okay so now i'm going to set up a company and i'm 20 something and and it was really my first job in the uk and i'm on a immigration visa and i don't know how safe this is because now i'm a contractor i wouldn't it be better that i'm employed on my visa and you know so i had a lot of that like anxiety and thought okay well i'm going to set up a company and then you'd have to choose the name of your thing so i thought okay well, I was going to set it up when I got back and fast forward a few years. I'll just do it now. Let me see if the name's available. Of course, no one wants, no one wants Hayfully on there. <laughs> so <laughs> I can barely pronounce it. So I landed up with Hayfully Software on the 28th of March, 2006. I had registered and then began on the first tax year, first day of the UK kind of financial tax year of the 6th of April 2006. So technically, it was ahead of schedule, not that there really was a, you know, at least a mental schedule. And then it was just me and I was one man and I was just a single contractor. And what, because a few things were then ahead of schedule, it opened up a few doors because, oh, well, now I'm not an employee. So I instantly was like, okay, hold on a second. I could have my contract ended at any time. So I think part of that the while that company was more convenient for them it brought something out of me also sooner because i was like okay well they also can end my contract at any time and now i'm on a visa so now you know, i'm going to have a problem if if i'm not bringing in earning and i can't show my tax returns then the uk government's not going to let me stay there on my immigration and like oh so in that anxiety was all right i better top up with a few other things and see who else needs to do some work and then i was doing bits and pieces and some of those bits and pieces were in really cool fields like neuromarketing and with uh, setting up a business with my brother in construction and dabbling in the evenings coding to keep up my skills because I was actually in the UK not as a developer. But I thought I better keep up my skills as a developer because what if I lose my, my job and I've only got four months of a BA experience, no one's going to hire me as a BA. And then if I haven't been touching dev, no one's going to hire me as a dev. So I was like out of this fear doing both in a way. And those projects that I was on evolved and grew and then it turned into actually maybe I could hire somebody to join me to do some work with me and then I hired them as a contractor. And then it started to turn into actually there's enough work here for two and then and then three. And then each each door seemed to unlock the next and each project was a step, like a foothold for the next. And then we had a small team in London. Yeah. So one of the questions that I need to field quite often, and I'm glad you you touched on the problem, but maybe you could shed some light on how you tell people how to pronounce the name Hayfully. <laughs> Amongst my family, it's uh, playfully or playfully with an H is probably the, the easiest way to do it. But it has not stopped every rendition, and I've had mm -hmm. to deal with it since since the very first walking up on stage in primary school and the teacher calls out, you know, Alan Hayfield or Hefele or Hafela or <laughs> should yeah, probably put one of those okay. phonetic pronunciations that you have in, in dictionaries just underneath there's an asterisk on all the business cards <laughs> and the websites and everything. Well you'll yeah. see I'll put it on my LinkedIn because since they added the pronunciation, I thought, okay, this is what they built it for. So <laughs> I'm gonna do it. <laughs> yeah. So to go back to what you were you were chatting about there, about how you started off as kind of a one-man show and then how guy mentioned that we're up to about 50 strong now i think something that's super important to me and i think something a lot of startups maybe struggle with or are scared of is as they scale the company culture how that can change from you know a four-man team of of everyone you know close proximity getting along everyone's having the time of their lives mm. and as it gets larger and there's more hierarchy and all that type of stuff how did you go about managing the company culture because i might be biased but i think personally we have a pretty good and open and honest company culture and everyone 
you know, has a great time working here. So was there deliberate thought into that or was it just, man, I'm hoping for the best here that everyone gets along and plays nice? Sure. No, it's, yeah, a fair amount of deliberate. And I think it's stuff that you, that you need to be deliberate. And I think it's through not being conscious of it is where the challenge would creep in. I think it's more natural when it's smaller because the, the circle of, of communication is smaller. So you're sharing more and uh, it's, people get a, a sense of the excitement cl closer to like what's happening at the driver's wheel. And I think, yeah, I think there is a level of it, which it is just, it does naturally atrophy or, or dilute as the team grows. So I think, yes, it does need to be conscious. It's tough. I don't think it's, it's for me, it's something I've just tried to prioritize in time by then sp trying to spend time with everybody, but it is it is actually imp impossible past a certain point. So it does get to a point where the, the culture cannot be fully maintained by one individual. It might start with the one individual, but it sort of dissipates as as the circle gets wider. So it's almost like you require key people that are fully understanding of the culture to almost be the booster signal through the rest of the company. So I think it is a case of being intentional with what you're putting out and have to accept the fact that my signal cannot reach the, the furthest part of the circle, whether the furthest part of the circle is the most junior individual or somebody on a, on a team that has less direct day-to-day -day, uh, involvement with my function, or maybe it's the part of the business that's the most mature and doesn't require my input. I mean, sometimes it can be any combination of those, but the outer ring of the, the circle away from the influence, it was hard for me to accept that it doesn't matter how potent my signal is, it almost will never get to the full extent to the outer reaches nor will it get there in real time. So you almost have to be intentional about what you put out and that it can get, has the best possible chance of your signal getting out to the outer. But more than that, you need the key individuals who are your repeater signals, who are the imprinted guardians of culture as well, of which you two are a key part of, I would say the seven or eight that are part of that repeater signal. And I think they are central in being intentional as well and you guys might not know where you're being intentional or not but it's it's that repeater signal is is key because you it's i don't think there's any other way to get to every corner or in real time with that with that of, of who you are and what your dna is without the repeaters yeah I, I like that term repeater right because it's it's not only just about what you're saying and, and how you're saying it and what you put on your website and, and how you explain your culture, but it's how often you do it too. So it's like you may have these, you, you're referring to repeaters as individuals that are boosting your signal, but it's how often is that signal boosted? How often do you feel you have to reaffirm that position amongst your, your team that then can spread that out to the rest mm -hmm. of the company and, and, and keep that going? Because I think a natural atrophy happens, uh, especially in larger groups like this, yeah. Yeah, look, I think if, if it's aligned with their nature, so like in other words, if I think it, like it comes down to how naturally aligned that signal is, and also yes, the, the consistency and the genuineness of it, right? So in other words, if if I'm like, well, actually my normal base personality is A, but I'm trying to project B, it's going to be really difficult and tiring for me to be projecting B all the time. And also if B doesn't really land on you naturally, you're not going to naturally repeat it. So then you're going to have to expel more energy for B to be passed on. So if we were trying to display a culture that's either not genuine or not, or not you're naturally aligned to how you actually feel. So I think the trick is, yeah, align the culture, but also align the culture to what, and also hire people who are aligned with that as well, because then there'll be naturally better repeaters. Then at least I can be intentional, and I find it easier because that's that's what the, the feeling is. You're not you're not having to uh, fake it, and then I'm also not expecting other people to fake it. Whereas I think if you are faking it, yeah, that's a lot of it's a lot of energy to try to push through to get to the furthest reaches of the company. It's hard. So it's, it's, I don't think it's uh, Simon Sinek has a good analogy on it as well, sort of about cones, but it's a similar kind of thought. It's a similar kind of thought about getting the volume and the volume dissipates. But it's interesting. And also the hardest, I'd say the hardest challenge about it is it's, it's never in real time. So like as mm -hmm. the circle grows, which is also important for people's visions and what they want to do, it's not real time. So we can have a meeting on Tuesday, you know, the leadership team, and there'll be a full understanding of what's happening, but it's not real time. So you can then land up having somebody who's 
a bit up, upset or is uh, unsure of what's happening and they, you know, resign and they're, they're 30 days away from hearing something which might have made a difference to that decision because actually something, you know, some key decision was just made, but it's, it's not in real time. And that's probably the one thing I miss the most about having, you know, 15 people because the signal is, is like real time. And it's a lot harder with 50. And I think it's, it's sad. And, and I still struggle mm -hmm. with that about, okay, how do you find ways to have an impression and for it to be in real time amongst, amongst 50 people? And then how would you possibly do that with 80? Or how would you possibly do that with 80? So, yeah. Yeah, I remember those days, right, when, they, when we were around about 15 people, when you'd make a decision or you'd, you would need to announce something and you would just literally walk out of your office and, you know, can everybody just gather around for 10 minutes? We need to chat yeah. about something quickly. And yeah. I mean, not to say that those days are gone, it's just that those days are rare. There's very, there's very few opportunities for that as we grow. So what does that look like in terms of how you scale the business going forward from 50? So 50, it's still kind of manageable. You're kind of holding on to that sort of culture of being able to interact with everybody and still have the opportunities to have these massive, you know, regroup sessions where everybody's involved and and, and can see behind the curtain a little bit. But how do we go from 50 to 100 in your mind? What does hopefully in five years look like in terms of culture? How it looks in a few years from now, well, yeah, for five odds or so, is, yeah, five teams in five cities. I would love to see minimum teams of 20 to 30 to 40 in London and Sydney and New York and that we're a distributed consultancy building teams, still building dev teams of, of high impact, of high performance. But cross geographies, cross skill sets and, and building dev teams based on the skill sets required for the delivery, right? So if that means you need an architect that's in Sydney and you need the BA in London, like then that team is, is how it is crafted. In terms of how to keep the culture, I think it's directly proportional to what's the, the squadron size in, in army terms is the, the 12, 13 people. If it is a case of getting to 100, 130, that there will be 30-odd individuals, that mathematics works out about right, that are strong guardians of culture. In other words, there can't just be a case of, of me and a bunch of principal leads or, or architects or business unit leads that, are, that aren't evangelists and that aren't part of the cultural fabric and are feeling part of the cultural fabric. I think it requires 30 me's in order to sustain the kind of vision that I would want, as opposed, yeah, you know, but in a way, it's a bit like our current model now, like building a triangular where you've got, you know, a team made up of two seniors and four intermediates and nine juniors. You know, the, the you know the pyramid of seniority, and how we've seen how that kills a team because the seniors write less and less code. That's that's more and more resembles kindergarten than it does writing code and, and having fun. And the juniors don't get enough sunlight and love and mentoring. And so you end up with seniors who are oversapped and juniors that are undernourished and nobody wins. And the answer is to square up the triangle to try to have equal number of seniors as you have non-seniors so that you've got high quality mentoring and high quality learning. And I think the same is true for culture. You can't have a pyramid of culture where there's two or three people that are strong proponents of culture and everybody else being the beneficiaries of culture. You would need just to square it so that a good third of the company are proponents of culture who are driving and looking for strong teams who are, you know, engaging with what the dev teams want, right? You, you need to be conscious as opposed to just following that's the company culture, if that makes sense. Sure. So... Before we get too nostalgic going down memory lane, or maybe uh, too optimistic going Way down... Way too late for that. Yeah, uh, too late for that. <laughs> well, yeah. But yeah, maybe before we get too optimistic as well, kind of following the yellow brick road of what we want, let's let's take it back to the present. And obviously, I think Guy and myself may have an answer, but we would still love to hear from you in terms of what you think a recent accomplishment is whether it be personable, whether it be the whole company itself, you know, obviously COVID comes to mind and we're all aware that we, we made it through that and we're actually stronger than we were. But what is your, your take on that? What stands out to you? Sure. I'll tell you a recent, recent win 
So if I think of our last quarter, I do kind of feel the win over COVID was won eight months ago. And we can maybe chat about that in a second. So, but a more recent win, the more recent thing that I'm, if I think of like, what kick-ass thing have we done recently? I don't jump to we survived COVID. Kind of, it feels like that was that was just, yeah six months ago. Versions of us that can high five that. I think the more recent is our soon to be announced joint venture into data science. So I'm quite excited about what that's taken. And I know we haven't. I've I've yet to announce it fully to the company on that joint venture. But in order for that one thing to have come together, it's been a yeah longer-term vision of an, our acknowledgement of the importance of data science in software development and how that partnership will work. So I'm, I'm quite excited about that. I'm also equally excited because we haven't fully launched it and its brand and what it means, but that joint venture between us and Yuan, who's joined us. So I'm excited about that. I think another key win for us is actually this podcast. This podcast is a step towards us and our maturity in tech and our maturity in content and our maturity in our vision of wanting to make it make a difference technically, right? As opposed to just being yet another consultancy amongst the 10,000 consultancies that are out there. So to me, I put, yeah, the new data entity and this podcast as a, as a recent win because it's also the kind of thing, it's a bit like, how can you say, when you are just in survival mode, you're just in survival mode. And for us to now have sparked data entity and have launched a podcast shows that we're past survival mode of COVID. Like we're, you're out of that part and you're actually now, the, the burnt grass is starting to bloom with all new stuff as opposed to it's still on fire and there's still some smolders. So to me, the data entity and the, and the, the agile CTO are key parts of that. I'm sure myself and Guy, I'm more than happy to take all the credits for sure. that. Yeah, um, I'm sure. <laughs> no, it's it's a massive team effort. There are multiple people doing a lot of work, a lot of amazing work behind the scenes that allow Guy and myself to just be here and just do what we do best, which is not write code and talk. Um, <laughs> but besides that, maybe if you could go back to what you mentioned about that you feel we won the fight against COVID, you know, six to eight months ago, because you know, let's hope that there's times. nothing. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a very difficult time, I think, across the board. And we all hope that nothing like this ever happens again, or there's no sudden resurgence or anything like that. So what it was the, in your mind, the key factor that helped us helped us win that? I'm not sure if there's one spe specific key factor. I think is a, is a combination. I mean, it's a combination of the clients that we had that were continued, were happy and continued. That, that is a testament to the teams and the devs that are doing their performance and, and are, are delivering because there were plenty reasons for clients to pull that excuse and go, oh, guys, can we have a discount? Oh, guys, can we have a concession? Oh, guys, you know, we have to cut costs. And the relationships that are at play and the performance of those dev teams for the majority of our clients not to pull any of those excuse cards, I think, is, a, is a, something that we should acknowledge the clients that naturally did have challenges and and there were a few the way in which they were handled that none of them just pulled the rug and dropped right they all had the respect and the courtesy to give us ample concern and okay guys we might have a challenge what do you think how could we and everybody was creative in their way so like i think we owe a chunk of that to them or at least to that approach a bunch of the team that clocked serious hours to boost as much billing as we could while we had the clients. So still producing for the clients on a timeline, but also allowing us to bring some of those revenues up front. Massive help. I think we touched on this the, uh, a couple of weeks back. If I were to get to the one thing that COVID revealed to us was that the most immature part of the business was not ready for, and that was our sales pipeline and our pipeline of projects right up until then i had built this team of 50 broadly with me and smatterings of other people that were helping with pipeline and it was okay it, it, it worked you know i would do a couple of trips a year within my network and a few other bits and pieces we would carve together our pipeline which kept us busy and kept us uh, kept us building for up, up to 50 plus but not in a COVID setting now when your conversion rate is drastically hit and my, my ability to now fly, so like one of my key sales metrics is relationships, is yeah, personalities yeah, and, and, and time with people. 
Now that being taken away, it's almost like being put in the ring with one hand tied behind my back and my right hand, which is, you know, I, I really enjoy the, the sales and the relationship and the carving of what is it that you're looking to do? And that's a key part of us. And then so having that weapon taken away is, was quite heavy. So I'd say the, the, the why I say six or eight months ago was the win on COVID was the effort spent through the year in restructuring the kind of dev house that we are focusing more on delivery and shifting the way in which we market ourselves and and pivoting the way in which we spend on our marketing and the way we've been using content and our change of approach to to just help right so when we shifted to say right well we got devs on the bench let's let's help out with a poc for that south african client who is now a client right and we did the POC, and it was like, well, we didn't really have the we didn't really have the billing, and and Harley, you were one of them to say, all right, let's do a three week POC on us, and we could certainly do with the billing. What are we what are we doing concessions for doing free POCs? But it's now the second client, so we've done. I think why I feel we've won it is our our approach to getting through COVID and realizing we've got some devs on the bench. Okay, let's build a three D printing platform to help three D printers do stuff. Like to me, that's awesome and i think it's a part of why now and because pipeline takes time that those things that were done six or eight months ago that are now creating the, the backlog of really interesting projects and a pipeline of really interesting projects that has now got us back and hiring and hiring too slowly like we need we yeah. need to get going i think isn't because of anything that's happened now in the last month it's, it's stuff that's that's happened six plus months ago yeah i was gonna i was gonna say like without going into too much detail the pipeline is looking pretty healthy at this point and, and you mentioned hiring as a new challenge right so okay let's roll let's role play a little bit let me inject a new a new topic here midway through the podcast that we that we haven't yet touched on let's role play a little bit alan guy the developer why should i join hayfully software what 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 is in it for me the dev why are you different? Why why are you different from every other consultancy? I think in Hayfully, by being owned by devs, run by devs, there is an inherent sense of what works for devs is what is driving us, right? And and especially now with our focus towards delivery and business outcome, our choice of projects, I think, makes the way in which we choose projects is different to the regular consultancy, which is one just of what resources required and what you're going to pay on what rate. I think there's now a sense of, all right, the project selection and by having the pipeline that we have now, we have the luxury of choice that we'll be choosing the projects that have maximum impact, that the ones that we can have a, where we have influence over delivery. So moving away further from just being a bum in a seat performing some role, but actually projects that we've chosen in this domain with those kind of clients that understand Agile, that are mature, that are from this city building that thing. I think that makes a difference for devs. I think the collection of talent makes a difference for devs. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm one, and if we, if we, I know we've chatted about this before, on developers are closer to artists and glass blowers and potters and sculptors than people would like to think because they think, oh, we're just devs that are in the basement writing ones and zeros and you just push the pizza under the door and be happy. But there's a lot more creativity to it than that. And where do you find really excited sculptors is normally amongst other really good sculptors. So I think it's about the talent, which does make us different. That is what ought to and should separate. And we touched on it on the other episode where if you're not learning, you're dying. And I think there's a culture of that within Hayfield, which is important. And I, what I'm chuffed is those repeaters are our key leads all get that. And that's also important. I think of why join us now for the next couple of years is I think we're at the beginning of our data science journey. I think that's going to add something interesting to us. I think we're at the beginning of our product journey with a bunch of opportunities around that, some of which we can't talk about yet, but I think around what can happen in our journey from now being a consultancy of 50 to becoming a consultancy of, of 80 and having an in-house product division, I think there's something inherently interesting in that to join now, like as opposed to, oh, I should have joined Hayfully when three years ago, because it looks like all the funds happened. Um, I, my view is the fun to hear gets to unlock some other kinds of fun. So yeah, I don't know. Hopefully that uh, sounds interesting. That's all the wrong answer. Uh, all you had to say was artisan coffee and open bar. That's what we've got here. That's <laughs> okay, there's that too. So, we have yeah. colorful walls. Uh, we have, we have couches. 
Okay. People just so want to know you've got the Google culture, the, okay, okay. the fat sacks and all of that. <laughs> well, yeah, these days with Office, I, I and and people's expectations of remote work and stuff, I do wonder. But um, no, that's good to know at least that coffee still counts for something. <laughs> so that's true, guy. So let me play devil advocate to my own question. Yeah. My previous question was about, you know, the proud accomplishment or recent milestone that we've the company has accomplished. You use the metaphor of the garden outside and how, you know, some of it was burnt, but there's still new patches that are that are growing. What is currently still on fire? What what uh what part of that garden is currently still ablaze and it's a frustration or it's something that we're needing to put out? Okay. Two things come to mind. If eight months ago, if COVID highlighted like that analogy when the ocean, when the tide goes out, then you see who's not wearing underpants, right? Like I don't know if you've, if I've used that analogy with you guys before. Well, now you okay, have. But I like where you now go. Have. <laughs> so yep, keep when talking. the tide goes out, that's where you see where the rocks are and where you see the danger is. And often when the tide's in, you're fine. So COVID for us, that tide highlighted, oh, so our sales pipeline is is insufficient, and and whoever's the director of sales needs a smack in the face, which was of course me. So if if that highlighted that. And that I feel we've we've taken a good swing of the axe to 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 fix. Now I feel what's next is actually our hiring. Is our we had during 2020 we were so focused on putting out the fire in the kitchen. I hadn't done an interview in 12 months because we had kind of paused and we were kind of like, okay, well that's our focus. And I remember then in the last what eight weeks turning the interview engine and the hiring engine back on, and I did the first interview like. I really needed to have a refresher as well, you know, because attracting talent is just as much about selling us as it is the candidate selling themselves. But the hiring, booting our hiring engine back up is the one thing where I'm like, okay, we need to get, we need to get slicker and cleaner. And I'm, I'm happier now with our testing methods and concentrating on the candidate experience and doing that better. And yeah, just like sales, winding up a pipeline of good, interesting projects takes time. Actually, winding up a pipeline of of great talented devs also takes time. So I'd say that's the one thing now that is my main focus. And I think of the last couple of weeks is the thing that I feel like is what I'm tinkering on when I'm going into the garage. You know, you're tinkering on that part of the car, which I suppose makes sense. Yep. And, you know, you've got, I'm sure that in your day, you've got a couple of brain cells left over, right? So like for me, it's, let's call it shower. So for me, it's the shower, <laughs> right? <laughs> Where you get that away we, from your kids and you don't have any responsibility. Is that the time you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. about 11 minutes and it's the best ever. That's it. That's it. In those 11 minutes, what's, yeah. what, is your, what is your brain focused on? So, so given, given the brain space, given nothing else on the table, what, what is your passion? What's your thing? Sure. Probably two things again. I find myself thinking a lot about the intersection between – Gary V, Simon Sinek, uh, with the side of Jordan Peterson, right? So there's a mm -hmm. there's a trying to find the right mixture of of motivation and leadership that is right for us at the right time, right? So I, I spend I find I go to that, and maybe it's a question because I you, know, you have everybody has their imposter syndrome, and so do I. Where you're landing going, okay, what? Should I really be leading a company of 50 people? Am I kidding myself that I can lead a, lead a company of 80? But I mean, I thought that when we had 10 of us. So it's the, I, I land up thinking a lot about that. And I think more recently, and it came up on another podcast where, where, I, was, uh, when, where I was a guest there, is, you know, it's one thing to lead a group of talented individuals where they arrive and they are wired and there are a little firework where the wick is, is, is out and ready and all it takes is to light them. Like they are, they're geared, they've got the right attitude, they're a pro, and all they needed is the soil to be in. All they, all they need is the right leader to just light the fuse, right? And that light the fuse might just be, well, pay for the certificate or pay for the course or just put them on the right project or just listen and put them into the thing that is interesting. Right? But the individual, the, the wick is exposed it's obvious they've basically done all the hard work already and all the companies had to do is just light the thing. And that, I don't know, that, if that passes for leadership because now, you know, whoa, look how the person's risen to, you know, and they're, 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 their trajectory has been amazing. 
that is cool. And there's a massive sense and reward in being able to provide a place where you can light a whole lot of wicks to a whole lot of individuals. Where I end up thinking a lot about is not everybody's wick is so easily exposed. So you, you, it's more about how much time and energy do you spend on finding the wick, right? And, and engaging the person where they're at because everybody comes from a different space. And how do you find motivation for those who've maybe been really demotivated or who have come from a background where they've had somebody that doesn't believe in them and doesn't have reassuring thoughts to say and isn't, isn't in their ear building their confidence. So some people arrive and they're also a rocket ship or they're also that firework, but the wick is not available or it's wet or it just, you need to get the wick for them and or dry it and then light it. And I spend, yeah, that's my thing now is not that I get much time and energy because we focus on hiring and pipeline, but I find in my natural state, I'm thinking about how do you create a place where it's not just about show me your wick and I'll light it, but actually helping uncover the person's wick and then lighting it. Like that's a much greater sense of reward and going, that person's wick is not obvious. Okay, work it, work it, work it. Now it's also hard for one person to do it. So I think it relies on this, these repeaters, right? And having a team of repeaters that are also not going, oh, there's no wick, next, there's no wick, next, oh, you got a wick, let's light it. But going, you know what, there is a wick here, let's, let's see if there's something that, we, that can be done. Yeah, so that's my thing at the moment, yeah. No, Very that's cool. awesome, and that's really reassuring, I'm sure, to, to those in the company that might be listening to this to know that if that is something the, the MD or the CEO, however you want to phrase it, is thinking about on a daily basis, and that just, for me, it shows a, a lot of confidence in this, in this company. I think it's but, His Majesty the founder. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that that, it's got a that nice the... ring to it on LinkedIn, but I, I don't know how. <laughs> We're trying to get it into the C-suites, but they said it, it, you have to put the chief into the, the title somewhere. <laughs> yeah. um, so before we wrap up, we'd like to end off with something that we call pressure time, which is just five questions that we're going to ask. And, you know, 30 seconds to a minute to, to respond. So kind of, kind of like a quick fire. So I'll take the first one and then guy you want to follow up after that so yep. the first question is why is harley your favorite employee I'm, i didn't write this uh our script writers obviously no. intervened here why is harley my, my favorite employee um, yes but you don't have to answer that don't worry i already know <laughs> um, the actual question <laughs> is okay. the uh your your latest must read as in a book or much watch as in a video or movie or documentary or listen like a podcast. I know you consume a lot of content. What is you are consuming your time in that department? Okay. The ones that I'm on, like I just finished Jordan Peterson's uh, 12 other rules or he's, he's beyond order. Sure. Intense. I don't know if I'd call that a must read. That's, that's, it's an intense one. I'm on hard, the hard thing about hard things right now. I think it's too early to say I'm only one chapter in, but I would say must read, uh, what really sticks with me and it kind of aligns with the, the wick and the fuse thing is the book Influencer or the science of it's the science of change or something like that. It's the same authors that wrote Crucial Conversations. Really good. And it's about understanding human behavior and how to influence the right behaviors from individuals and yeah, watching how one intention can have a negative, uh, can have a counterproductive consequence. So that I'll put in the must, the must read is the influencer. Simon Sinek, Infinite Game, also brought up there. Okay, the next one for you is, who is the most professionally influential person in your life right now? And you're not allowed to say me. <laughs> or Ali. Or, or oh. There we go, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, we got we to gotta give the other guys, you know, the Simon yeah. Sinek's and the Gary Vee's a chance, yeah. Yeah, give yeah. me a chance, right? Look, Simon Sinek has been a long-time influencer, so I don't know, so that's been like a, like a, an eight-year eight influence for me. So I'd say uh, maybe two. A real-life one is Kat in Operatics. She's been instrumental to that change in marketing and strategy for us in what was the change in COVID for us. So she's not exactly a celebrity status, but she's been hugely influential in the decision-making around how we've been restructuring ourselves and, and a massive strategic help. And, and Chris Walker of Refined Labs who's become my LinkedIn university for sales and marketing and B2B and is a large part of also that nine-month-ago transition for us. So, yeah, directly and like real actionable as opposed to me saying Gary Vee or Simon Sinek, those, those two have been, yeah, 
responsible for a lot of our transformation over the last nine months. And some of it's not visible to the team. It's all in sales and marketing and strategy and that kind of thing. And it's also led to this podcast, actually. So yeah, there you go. Awesome. So the next question is is kind of a, a thinker. And it's, what is the most frustrating opinion other people have about you? So that what I do think, you think other people have about you? Yeah, so what do you think guy and myself really dislike about you? <laughs> we'll tell you if you're right or wrong. I can't probably answer this another way. Um, <laughs> I, because I don't think you two in particular think this, because I think you're you're close enough to, underst- uh, to uh, understand. But where sometimes I do worry or I, I fear there is a mismatch of opinion is in the realm of leadership. What frustrates me is in the realm of leadership, somebody who is hard, unsympathetic, and ruthless is considered strong, whereas somebody who is sympathetic, empathetic, and considers his team and his collective is considered weak. That's a frustrating opinion if I consider, if people's opinion of the way in which I do leadership, which involves some levels of empathy, that that empathy comes with weakness. That I find difficult because it suggests that you should be less empathetic because that will mean you're stronger, which isn't necessarily true in all cases. So. I find that one frustrating. Yeah, it, there, there's a quote that I can't remember where I read or heard it, but it's, it goes along the lines of that. It says, um, don't misinterpret my kindness for weakness. Right? So I think it yeah. speaks to that pretty closely. I yeah. do okay. think, yeah. just to yeah. add to that, is that the way I've seen the, the culture go of, I don't know, business influences and, and motivation and stuff, I think all the young guys you know, starting startups with their idea just look at the, the Elon Musks and it's you know, work, 18 to 20 hours a day and if you're not doing that then you're doing something wrong it's like okay but you're not factoring in your your mental health your family time physical health all those type of things i think yeah there's definitely different approaches to to leadership styles and it's just in my opinion the one has been very much glorified because it is the more ruthless and maybe it's seen as the more testosterone filled approach to to leadership and that just i think speaks a bit more to culture's perception on on leadership than actual what is more effective yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Well, it's good that that, that trend is changing. I think there's still, mm, still pockets, though, that are, I suppose, either resistant to it or, yeah, like I said, it's a people's matter of opinion, right? And, yeah, but look, not that I would have it any other way, but I just find that a bit frustrating sometimes. Okay. What is your most controversial opinion? This could be in your personal capacity, professional capacity, whatever you like. <laughs> uh, now, this is not it? what other people think about you, but one that you hold. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or, or where I find my opinion uh, rubs some people up the wrong way of it. That's right. Um, maybe not as rubs the wrong way, but where I find them disagreeing a lot is the level to which remote work and this, oh, the new future, the new normal is remote and the glorifying of remote work. I think I have a controversial opinion of calling bullshit. I think it's, sure, remote work, great. Yeah, it's got some value and you can be flexible and cool. But don't, I think people make the mistake of over glorifying it and making broad decisions on going fully remote and we're never going back to the office and this is our new future. I also call a bit of bullshit and that's, I think, where the controversy comes in. Because, sure, maybe from a carefully perspective, if we were a consultancy that wasn't as team driven uh sure if i can bill out an individual for the same rates and i don't have to worry about their coffee and their wi-fi and their seat and their desk sure more margin yeah yeah let's go fully remote and they're not accounting for at the end of the day that developer that the if we if we fold in a bit of simon cynic infinite game the infinite game here is the developer that's working for us or the team of developers that's working for us your by going fully remote, you've basically just sold your future or you've swapped your long-term advantage for a short-term advantage of being able to be in your, in your underpants all day and not have to drive and saving some petrol. But at what cost? Because my view is you've, you've just mortgaged the future because you're now not going to be sitting next to Paul, who's maybe going to be your investor in 20 years, or you're not now sitting next to Sally, who's going to be your fiancé in four. You're sacrificing those things where relationships are key. You know, Steve Steve and Steve would not have formed Apple if everybody post some pandemic decided to all work remote. 
And the founders behind every major innovative company would not have met each other if they were all running remote 20 odd years ago. So the founders of the next innovative companies that are sitting in Hayfree Software right now, they're not sitting together. So they're not learning whether Harley can trust Fred, right? They're, those relationships are not forming, which is fine if you're going to say it's for a season, but that season is going to catch up in five years from now. And you want to be the one that is having that founder next to you or that your, your future wife sitting next to you or so-and-so you bump into at the water cooler. And that propinquity of bumping together and it's not just about work, you know. So I have a feeling, yeah, you know, that's why I think it's controversial because I call bullshit. Yeah. Oh, that was it's a, a long 30 seconds. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's... <laughs> I think there's, I think there's, a, there's a full podcast on that topic alone, right? But I, I'm glad you raised that point because it's something we talk about a lot here, right? It's something that comes up more than, more often than not in the conversation between Alan and I and you as well, Harley. And you know, you, you, to, the devil's advocate has a different opinion, right? So we could, I'd, I'd love to dive deeper into that in another session one day. But yeah, yeah, cool. thanks, Al. That was a, that was a really cool answer to that question. So let's go with our last question here, which is, what are you currently procrastinating over? Hmm. changing my routine to get up at five in the morning and go for a run. Like the part of my life that is the most out of balance is some level of exercise or mental breakaway that is not family and kids and taking somebody to the bathroom um, and, and all work and cash flow and finance and pipeline and talent and hiring is just, I don't know, 30 minutes to go for a run. Yeah. But it's quite a lot to make a decision to get up at, to become part of the 5 a.m. club and do that. But that's what I'm procrastinating. Yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Alan, yeah. thanks very much, man. It's been really cool. great chatting to you. Um, yeah, likewise. Thanks, guys. Yeah, looking forward to the next one. Thanks for your time, Harley. Thank you. And we'll catch you guys soon. At Hayfully Software, we build dev teams that deliver and fix those that don't. Dev teams fail to deliver all the time for countless reasons, from lack of skills to barriers and culture, from politics to process, from silos to egos. Whatever the reason, it's time they deliver. This is why we exist. From enterprise to startups, we craft high-performance dev teams focused on end-to-end delivery. Visit Hayfully Software at OutsourceHS.com to learn more. You've been listening to The Agile CTO. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to leave a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.